Hi, I'm Jen Kelly from The Herald Sun. Join me for In Black and White, a podcast series about some of Melbourne's forgotten characters. It's available on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tony Mockbell's dream building was never built, which might be a good thing, because in the end, which of us would want to live or work in a building built by a career crook? Exhibit A is in Italy where various forms of the Mafia, they've got at least three big ones, have corrupted the build quality of roads and bridges and public buildings for decades. I'm Andrew Rule, and this is Life and Crimes. Today, a different sort of crime, and that is the burning issue of our sick buildings. The buildings built with dodgy cladding that could burst into flame and kill dozens of people. It's possible that any one of these buildings could take more innocent lives than any hitman we've ever seen. It takes some of us back to that film, the great disaster classic, Towering Inferno. It was made, of course, back in the 1970s, and it has become part of the language, just like Jaws has. It's burned into our memories, but for far better reasons than Jaws. The fact is... Very few of us stand to be taken by sharks. Being eaten by a shark is a small but unavoidable risk if you insist on swimming with an apex predator. But thousands of people die worldwide in preventable fires through no fault of their own. The truth is, sadly, Towering Inferno was on the money. And we know that because when the Grenfell Tower fire erupted in London two years ago, killing some 72 people and injuring just as many, it was near enough to a carbon copy of the film scenario in which shoddy shortcuts had been taken to cut costs and ended up costing lives. Grenfell, of course, was in London, not in Melbourne or in Australia, but when the La Crosse building caught fire in the Docklands precinct, a couple of years before that, back in 2014, it could easily have been just as bad. Given different wind conditions and a bit of bad luck instead of a bit of good luck, and there you have it, Ash Wednesday meets Black Saturday in the sky. Right here, in the heart of a supposedly sophisticated first world city. So what's the message? Well, I'd say be afraid. The news is bad. It turns out... According to the special task force that set up by the state government a couple of years ago under former Premier Ted Bailey and former Labor Deputy Premier John Thwaites, they discovered that there are more than 200 buildings in Victoria who are potential problems. Many of them are sheathed in potentially deadly flammable cladding. 17 of them are considered highly dangerous and steps have already been taken to remedy that. And that's just part of the problem. Hidden in some of these buildings are other potential killers. Time bombs in the wiring systems, in the glazing, and funnily enough, even in the plumbing. Because when plumbing goes wrong, it can cause flooding. Flooding can short out electrical circuits and start fires. So there are many ways in which shoddy construction methods can endanger lives. And yes, there are sharks involved but not the swimming variety, not the ones you buy with chips. The sharks in this scenario probably drive 
expensive imported cars. These are the people who at one time or another have taken shortcuts to extract more profits from the building boom that has accompanied Victoria's rapid rise in population. Some people well placed to comment say that Victoria has some of the most expensive buildings in the world, but also some of the worst. Some people well placed to know about these things because they have spent a lot of time inspecting high-rise buildings in Melbourne are very concerned about the state of what they found. One of them, in fact, says privately he has never seen so many crap buildings built in such a short time. In fact, he says he would be reluctant for any member of his family or his friends to buy an apartment on an upper level of a tower built in Melbourne in the last 20 years. That's how serious he thinks it is. And of course, we're talking mainly here about flammable cladding, but the problems run deeper. Cladding is just one problem. Cladding in this country and in London and elsewhere has been blamed for potentially deadly fires because it's flammable, because the new lightweight claddings essentially are made like sandwiches. They have an aluminium or metallic exterior and in the middle, the sandwich filling is polyethylene, a light and often highly flammable substance. Here's one of the problems. There's polyethylene and polyethylene. Some of it is far more flammable than other varieties, depending, of course, how it's processed, how it's treated, what sort of packaging is put around it, and how it's installed. There are many variables in this, but the bottom line is this, that some of it is highly flammable and some of it is not so highly flammable. I've been told by an impeccable source on this that some of it is so dangerous it should be nowhere near a building and that other stuff that looks very similar is just slightly dodgy and probably shouldn't be used in an ideal world. But cladding isn't the only problem. Hidden deep inside these buildings are vast amounts of wiring. Now this takes us straight back to the towering inferno scenario. The scenario the scriptwriters came up with, probably based on real life of course, is that the wiring used in the skyscraper was shoddy, inferior and cheap and that somebody had installed it in order to save big bucks at the expense of those who were going to use the building because shoddy, inferior wiring is likely to short out and start a fire. And a fire in a high-rise building of, you know, 15, 20, 30 storeys, whatever it is, is super deadly because a fire will stop the lifts working and people are trapped the way they were trapped on 9-11. In fact, as an expert pointed out, a high-rise building in which hundreds or thousands of people work or live is very similar in principle to a jet airliner or a big passenger ship. And yet there is this difference. Jet airliners and passenger ships are built with enormous care and scrutiny. Every screw, every wire, every piece of equipment is labelled and everyone knows where it is, who put it in and what its function should be and whether it should be replaced or repaired or whatever. Because everyone knows that if something goes wrong in an aircraft and to some extent on a ship, the results can be tragic. But what we have to realise is that the same is also true of a high-rise building. It is much like a giant Boeing aircraft 
sitting on the ground, jutting into the sky. It's full of passenger equivalents. If something goes wrong in a huge skyscraper, it can be just as deadly as a plane crash or a ship capsizing. When you build a ship or a plane, we know who did what and how they did it and who's accountable for every damn thing. It's not that tidy in the building industry. In fact, scarily, it seems that the regulations that govern the building of enormous buildings that will house thousands of people are not that different in essence from the regulations that govern building a suburban office block. Of course, if you follow most stories back far enough, you find a link with crime. When crooks make a lot of money, a lot of black money, one of the things they want to do is to sink it into legitimate enterprises, basically to clean the money. They're only human. They'd like to own property, just like most people would. And that's why Tony Mockbell, currently a guest of Her Majesty, employed a very well-known firm of architects to design a landmark building for the old wheel and the wrecker site in Sydney Road, where Brunswick runs into Coburg. It's a big site, and Tony wanted a big building. He engaged this architect firm that did work all over Australia and also internationally. They were pleased to get the commission, which had been set up by a middleman. But one day, the principal of the firm was called to a meeting where he met the man with the money, Tony. And the architect pulled out the plan, which was a very radical plan, to build a building that looked like a ship with a winged keel. It was designed to sort of grow out of the site and spread upwards in elegant curves. It would have been a great landmark and a beautiful building in its own way. And of course, as we all know now, it would have been funded with drug money. Of course, it didn't happen because Tony Mockbell hit a great hurdle. He was wanted by the police. He jumped bail. He hid, as we now know, in a little farmhouse at Bonnie Doon and eventually smuggled himself across the world in a yacht, only to be caught again in Greece after he was betrayed by one of his own men. And so Tony Mockbell's dream building was never built, which might be a good thing. Because in- Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. In the end, which of us would want to live or work in a building built by a career crook because there's always the chance that some of his scallywag mates could get involved, take shortcuts, put bribes and commissions in their pocket, substitute material for other material and build a fire trap. It can happen. It does happen. It has happened. Maybe that's one where we dodged a bullet. It turns out that in our part of the world, Australia is not the only one with problems. In fact, dodgy cladding has been a curse in our neighbour, New Zealand. 
not for the, exactly the same reasons. It's not a series of fires in New Zealand that has caused the problem. What it is is that the polyfilling used in a whole series of buildings in New Zealand has become what they call leaky. They call them leaky buildings or sick buildings. And what happens is that moisture and air can get into this polyethylene filling and create mould and that the mould creates spores that are very dangerous to humans and that in certain conditions with air conditioning and so on, these spores can be picked up and transported around the building and make people sick. This is such a serious problem in New Zealand that the government there and builders and a whole cohort of people associated with the building industry have had to foot the bill for millions and millions of dollars to remedy this problem. This is an example for the Federal Government of Australia because the New Zealand Government has agreed to foot at least part of this massive bill in order to safeguard the lives of their citizens. It might be that the Australian Federal Government should do the same thing. So here's the obvious question. Why didn't somebody in the government just ban bag cladding years ago and stop this flammable stuff being used? Surely just a stroke of the pen would have fixed that back in the day so thousands of Victorians and thousands more Australians in general weren't suckered into living or working in some sort of vertical fire trap. When Mark Knight drew a cartoon about this the other day, he depicted a city skyline dominated by giant jerry cans of petrol just waiting to explode. It was a brilliant cartoon, as Mark Knights always are, but he could just as easily have drawn shiny coffins and caskets towering over the streets. How the hell did we end up with a mess like this? Well, let's look at the experts. They say that it's hard even for them, the experts, to pick the difference between deadly cladding that should be banned outright and the moderately inferior stuff that shouldn't be used just in case. The line between cladding that's acceptable in some circumstances and similar looking stuff that isn't acceptable any time has been muddied by other experts. Mostly, of course, to save a dollar, although the cost difference between one sort of cladding and another sort of cladding on a multi-million dollar skyscraper is not as huge as you might reckon. But it could be just enough, say half a million dollars, to persuade a rogue contractor or a rogue supplier to substitute one cladding for another that looks identical to the naked eye. And they could do this without the architect's or the engineer's knowledge or possibly even the building company's knowledge. It's like adulterating beef pies with horse meat. Who's going to know? Except there's one difference. Beef pies don't burst into flame and kill you. The result of all this, apart from the risk to life and limb, is that it is a multi-million dollar mess for everyone concerned, not least the poor buyers who have invested their hard-earned cash on what they thought was good real estate, only to find out that their dandy new apartment is a fire trap that will cost them a small fortune to set right. So even when lives aren't lost, lives can be ruined by the greed and the recklessness and the ignorance of other people higher up the food chain. So whose fault's that? Well, let's not name anyone here and now, but you can be sure that there are a handful of them out there, the odd big builder and their pet building surveyors and fire engineers. 
they tell me that the same names keep cropping up. As one insider told me this week, there are half a dozen dodgies. We're talking about people who have allegedly connived to get around the spirit of the law by using and abusing the letter of the law, as in, of course, the building regulations. And here's the thing we should all be angry about. The whiff of corruption hangs over the relationships between cowboys in the construction industry and the officials we trust to police the regulations that keep us all safe. And this leads us to a very murky scenario. The corruption of building safety standards is what happens in countries where citizens' lives are continually put at risk by the bad guys infiltrating the system. Exhibit A is in Italy, where various forms of the mafia, they've got at least three big ones, have corrupted the build quality of roads and bridges and public buildings for decades. These have failed, they've collapsed, they've burned, they've fallen apart, they've fallen down in earthquakes, killing and injuring hundreds and hundreds of people in the process. It's a nightmare that hangs over the entire country, not to mention those former Eastern Bloc countries where organised crime is the main growth industry. So when a highway bridge collapsed in Genoa in Italy late last year, it killed 43 people and injured hundreds more. It was the 10th bridge to collapse in Italy in just five years. And it's the latest in a whole string of incidents that caused death and destruction in Europe. And that is a big warning for us here in Australia and in Melbourne. It seems to me, after talking to people in the industry, that it's only dumb luck that Melbourne's flammable cladding scandal has not yet anyway proved as deadly as the Grenfell disaster in London two years ago when, of course, 72 people died horribly in what was the deadliest residential fire in Britain since World War II, since the Blitz. That is unbelievable. But, sadly, it's also believable. So, the Grenfell disaster, as we've said, was near enough to a real-life version of Towering Inferno, in which the premise is that a greedy construction contractor took shortcuts installing electrical wiring and that the resulting shorts started a killer fire. Substitute cladding for wiring and you have the real-life scenario that Melbourne faces thanks to dodgy builders and those who work with them. And guess what? The people given the job of looking at flammable cladding in Victoria have found a lot of other things. I'm told that on page 45 of the report, there is specific mention of other issues, such as wiring, the towering inferno thing, such as glazing, and interestingly, plumbing. All these issues are potentially deadly. Already in Melbourne, we have seen windows and heavy cladding fall off buildings into the streets below. So far, no one has been killed, but you can be sure it could happen. And you can be sure as some of these buildings age, not gracefully, that more of these incidents will happen. It's straight from the film script. And here's just a little inside story to go out with to show how the other issues 
can be just as deadly as cladding. Ironically, this involves a big government building that sits in the northern end of the city. It's the large modern building where the planning minister, Richard Wynne, has his office. But for part of last year, Richard Wynne and all the other hundreds and hundreds of people who worked in that building were not able to work in that building because it had to undergo a massive refurbishment due to a dangerous fire. It took many months and cost north of $20 million. And it is alleged that this was caused, when they tracked it all back, it was caused by one pair of underpants being flushed down a toilet in the building and clogging some plumbing pipes, which then backed up and spilled over into the wiring system, creating shorts between electrical circuits that started the fire that caused the problems. That meant all the tenants had to get out of the building. The building had to be totally refurbished at a massive cost of more than $20 million. One pair of knickers caused all that trouble in the very building in which our Minister for Planning works. It would be funny if it wasn't so serious. Hello, I'm John Ralph. I'm Glenn McFarlane. We'll take you behind the scenes with some of the biggest names in the game to find out how they found out their time was up and who pulled the trigger. Welcome to Sat, a podcast that explores what really happens after the axe falls on an AFL coach. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for every episode on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.